Thank you, Kent and Renee, for our music this morning. Welcome to those of you joining us on live stream this morning. We are in a study in Romans chapter 8. This is the third message of this series that is really a series on the Holy Spirit. Uh, since he is mentioned so often, I think 22 different times in the 8th chapter of Romans. Last week we talked about the carnally minded man in uh, verses 5 through, through 8. And I told you that we would hold off talking about the spiritually minded man. Uh, as we read in verse 6, there's the carnally minded, that is the, the lost person, the person without the Lord Jesus Christ and therefore without the Spirit. But the spiritually minded person is the Christian person who has the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to do this message in two parts, and today will only be the first part, because uh, really this idea of the spiritually minded person, which I hope that you are, First of all, we have uh, the fact in verses 9 through 11, which we're going to look at this morning, the fact that we are indwelt by the Spirit. Verse 11 says, uh, He dwells in you. Verse 9 says, The Spirit of God dwells in you. But then in verses 12 through 14, next week, or when uh, actually in two weeks from now when I uh, finish this portion, in verses 12 through 14, we'll talk about being led by the Spirit. It's one thing to have the Spirit of Christ in you, and you have Him if you're a believer. Are you led by the Spirit? Is He the King of your life? Does He show you from one day to the other what you should be doing? I think that's important. As a matter of fact, skip down with me to those verses so that these are in your mind. Verse 12, brethren, we are debtors. We have an obligation. Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That's a mouthful. We're going to talk about that next time. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And so I think that's a very important concept, and we're leading up to it. But we're going to talk today about the fact that first you have to have the Spirit of God living in you. you, you he has to be dwelling in you. We have in our generation, of course, everything under the Christian spectrum uh, from one extreme of, I would call, license, just uh, freedom. Now that you're saved, do whatever you want to do. So you're saved and, and secure, so just uh, live however you want to live. Just let go and let God uh, you know, have his way, uh, which really means you having your way. And at the other end, there's a, true, there's a true legalism in the world still, and that is that maybe salvation has to become, come to you through baptism. Maybe it's the sacraments of the church. Maybe it's some other work that you have to do in order to be saved. So we go from one huge uh, uh, spectrum over here all the way to the other side. The solution is, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you are eternally secure. But also, you are in a partnership with the Holy Spirit. As He leads you, you follow Him. Uh, and that is the obligation of the Christian. We'll come back to that next week. Today, I want to talk about being indwelt by the Spirit. As verse 9 says, uh, you are not in the flesh, you are in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. You remember that Jesus said, 
as he ended his earthly ministry and he was talking to the disciples in the last few days of his life, in John 16, 7, he said, If I do not go away, the Comforter will not come, but if I depart, I will send him to you. And so this age in which we live, this, this church age we call it, the age of grace sometimes we call it, is the age of the Holy Spirit. Jesus has come and done his work. He died for us. He rose from the dead. He ascended back to the Father, but the Holy Spirit was sent to us. He indwells in us. He does his work in and through us, and that is so important. And he will be here doing that until the rapture of the church. When God calls the church home, if we go, he goes. <laughs> Where we go, the Holy Spirit goes. Where the Holy Spirit goes, we go. He can't be separated from us. And so he will be here doing his work until we and him are called out of this world. So that is the basic truth where we begin. I want you to notice, though, as you follow in an outline you have before you in the bulletin or, or on the screen, that we're talking about the spiritually minded person again. Here we truly are talking about those who know the Lord. You notice that our text begins, but you contrast to what he's been talking about of the carnally minded, the lost person. But now Paul directs his writing to these Roman Christians in this book of Romans. And he says, but you I know. I know who you are. I know that you are believers. Uh, you are believers if the Spirit of God dwells in you. And I know that he does. So he turns his mind to them. Now notice that I, I title verse 9, the sphere that we are in. That is, we are in the Spirit. You notice that little word, I highlighted it last week. You are not in uh, the flesh, you are in the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. You're not in that sphere, you're in this sphere. <laughs> you lived there uh, when you were unsaved, in the flesh, in the power of the flesh, but now that the Holy Spirit has come in you, you live in the Spirit. And the Bible is, is very consistent with that concept to tell you if you're saved, then that's where you are. You're a believer. You're in the Spirit. You may be uh, living poorly. You may be even carnal in your Christian life. You may not have followed the leading of the Holy Spirit all the time, but you are in the Spirit, and you cannot, if you're in, you can never be out. But if you are not, then you're in the flesh. You're in the world. You're in that place called unbelief, and you're not in the Spirit. Sometimes you could do good things. You could be religious. You could uh, feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes He comes with you and leads you supposedly, and of course, leading you to himself, you can go or not go. That's where you were. So uh, that, that is the, the sphere or the realm. In Colossians 3.19, Paul called it the old man and the new man. Remember this, do not lie one to another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. In a great book by Jerry Bridges some years ago, he said it like this, Regardless of how decent and moral we were, we lived in the kingdom of sin. 
But now through our union with Christ in his death to sin, we have been delivered out of the realm of sin and placed into the kingdom and realm of righteousness. That's where you live as a Christian. Or I like what all Alva J. McLean, he just said, the flesh remains in the Christian, but the Christian is not in the flesh. <laughs> you still have that old nature, uh, but that's not the sphere uh, or the realm that you are in. So notice again in our, in our text, when he addresses these Roman believers, he calls them you, and he says that the Spirit dwells in you. You see that word dwells, sometimes translated in habits and so forth, it is the word oikos. That, that's the word for house. Oikeo is the verb. So it, he, the Holy Spirit has made a house out of you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. Or here's how Ephesians 2.22 puts it. In whom you also are being knit together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. He dwells in you. He lives in you. Takes up residence in you. Or Galatians 5.25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. If you are in that realm and that's where you live, then walk like it, live like it. And then 1 Corinthians 6.19, you know very well. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, you're bought with a price. And so you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, that word is, would be more the holy of holies of the Holy Spirit as he lives in you. The Holy Spirit also seals you. The Holy Spirit baptizes you. The Holy Spirit teaches you. He, he, he uh, directs you. Uh, he does all of these things for you. We'll talk more about that, of course, next week. You know, sometimes we will say something like, well, he really got the Spirit, didn't he? <laughs> You know, somebody who gets really excited and says something good and somebody will say, you really got the spirit. Actually, that's a misnomer. You don't get the spirit uh, by being emotional. Uh, you might be filled more with the spirit, but you don't get him. He's either in you or he's not in you. You don't get him and he comes and goes as you uh, kind of get religious. So first of all, those in the spirit have God. And that's what our verse says. But then he says, and I'm kind of backing up then, if you are, not, uh, you are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you, now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. You don't belong to God. Two times, again, in this verse, you are said to be uh, in uh, the Spirit. And we have that again in, uh, in verse 11, or, or excuse me, I mean the word if, not the word in. Notice the word if twice in verse 9. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, and if you don't have, then you're not. In other words, what's the, what's the guarantee that you are a believer? What makes you a believer? There's a big if here, and the answer is, is the Holy Spirit in you? If the Holy Spirit is not in you, Paul's making it very clear, you are not a believer. But if you accepted Christ as your Savior, that Holy Spirit came into you, and you are a believer, you have God. The same thing, the same if is in verse 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he goes on. Verse 13, 
If you live according to the flesh, you, but if you, by the Spirit, uh, you put to death and so forth. So that's a big if. If anyone does not have, he's not a believer. Again, I say the universal signature of believers, the universal badge that you are a believer is if the Spirit of Christ dwells in you. And you are in the Spirit, and He is in you. And if not, then you don't belong to the Father. You know, in, uh, when Peter was first preaching the gospel, they preached first only to the Jews. But then uh, as the book of Acts develops, we find him going to Samaria and preaching to kind of half-Jew, half-Gentile type people in, in Samaria. Then he goes all the way up to Caesarea, and there he's in the house of Cornelius, and, he, and uh, God had to convince Peter that the gospel is for the Gentiles also. You go on up there and you preach. And, and so he was called up there, and he went to Caesarea, and he preached, and he saw them saved. Well, after he comes back to Jerusalem, the, the Jews in Jerusalem were saying, you preach to the Gentiles? And you're saying that they uh, are believers now? How can that be? Well, in Acts chapter 10, verse 47, when Paul's preaching, it says, after they profess, can anyone forbid water, water baptism, that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. They received the Holy Spirit just like you and I did at Pentecost. And so we should baptize them. And then when he gets back to Jerusalem, they're questioning him, and he says in Acts eleven fifteen, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. If therefore God gave them the same gift he gave to us when we believed on the Lord Jesus, how, should, how could I withstand what God was doing? And so the, the signature, the thing that made them believers, Peter says, is that they received the Holy Spirit the same way we did. When you got saved, believer, that happened to you. In the same way, sometimes we say, well, uh, that person was really in the spirit. We often say, well, I kind of got in the flesh, didn't I? <laughs> you ever said that of yourself? You do something you know was wrong. You say something that you shouldn't have said, and you kind of say, well, I got in the flesh. Well, actually, that's a misnomer, too. You're not in the flesh. You're in the spirit. Now, we'll see next week. You can walk according to the flesh. Because you still have that old nature who can take over if you're not careful, but you didn't get in the flesh. You can't be in the flesh if you have the Spirit of God living in you. So verse 9 tells us the sphere that we are in. Secondly, in verse 10, there is the body that we live in. Now notice this verse says, if Christ is in you, there's that big if, but, and by the way, if the Holy Spirit is in you, Christ is in you. You notice that? I'm always amazed at how easily the Bible writers talk about the Godhead, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and how they can refer to one and the other so easily. We say, because we know Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us, but the Bible often says that Christ is in us, and we are in Christ. As it says, the Holy Spirit is in us, and we are in Him. So because God is, is omnipresent, because God is omnipotent and can do all those things, God the Father, Son, or Holy Spirit, 
He, he can easily say, now, if Christ is in you, because the Holy Spirit's in you. Notice, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. I think uh, that, that you might have there uh, the term quickened uh, for the word life. Well, what does he mean by this? Uh, Christ is in you, and the body is dead. I'm looking around all of you. Some of you look like maybe that's, that's true of you, but what does he mean by uh, if, the, if the body is dead because of sin? Well, it means, of course, that the house that you live in, he's speaking of this physical body. Uh, he's speaking of, he calls it in verse 11, the mortal body. This thing that you live in is dying. And this thing that you live in, you need to put away eventually. This flesh that you have, not only outwardly, but that inward fallen spirit, that old nature that you have, is killing you. And it will kill you in the end. Back in chapter 6 and verse 13, when he's talking about this body and how we deal with it, Paul will say to these believers in 6.13, Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. Now, to Paul, the, the members are members of your body. The Bible talks a lot about the tongue, right? What can you do with the tongue? Even as a believer, the tongue is an is a evil that's hard to control, James says. And you can let the tongue do things and say things that it shouldn't be doing and saying, right? So uh, that's a member of the body. Your eyes, your ears, uh, everything about you can be the member of the body. And notice he says, do not present or yield these members as instruments, and that's the weapon or the word for weapon, the weapons for unrighteousness. Your, your tongue, your eyes can be weapons of unrighteousness to you. And you say to yourself, how can this be if the Holy Spirit lives in me and, and I have the Holy Spirit that these kinds of things happen to me? Because your body is not redeemed yet, your soul is redeemed. And that body will have to die and be resurrected before it's sinless, before it's like your spirit. And so from now on, even as a believer, your body is dying and you, you know that this is true because it is dying. It's appointed unto man once to die. And, and that's because of sin. Because we are still in Adam and Adam sinned. And God said, you, the day you eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. And we've been dying ever since. And so don't do that. But verse 13 again says, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. This is what we'll talk about next week when we talk about are you led by the Spirit, not just possessed uh, by the Spirit. Well, so this body is dead in that sense. This, and by the way, chapter 6 and verse 6, it's called the body of sin. Chapter 7, a little above where our text is, in verse 24, uh, he says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? This body that's dying, this body that, that keeps doing this kind of thing. And you know what? It's growing old. 
and God will bring it to its appointed end. And then it will go back to dust. That was where it came from when, it, when God made Adam and you came from Adam. So it'll go back to dust. And then in resurrection day, that body will be perfect. It will be, uh, again, what, what God wanted it to be and what it created it to be. So though we weep, we don't sorrow as others that have no hope in this kind of thing. And though our brothers and sisters go on uh, to death before us, they actually, that body goes back to where it belongs and the spirit goes to God who gave it and, and waits for resurrection day. It's a great thing when you really think about it. So headed to death, you know, Moses uh, said in Psalm 90, when he said, remember your days, Lord, are a th like a thousand years is one day to you. That's in Psalm 90, and Moses was writing it. But then he says, you turn man to destruction and say, return, you children of men, to the dust. You live forever. Your days are, are uh, like a, a th uh, one day is a thousand years, but we have 70 or 80 years, and then you say, go back to the dust. Or God said to Adam in Genesis 3, In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. I kind of like Ecclesiastes 12. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return to God who gave it. So look at the second part of our verse here where we have, uh, again, in verse 10, the body's dead because of sin, but what? The spirit is life because of righteousness. Let me put it, just a, a little opinion here. You know that in the original languages, there are no capital letters, there are no periods and punctuations and all of that kind of thing. I think that the word spirit here should have a small s to it. I think that here in this verse, that Paul is not talking about the Holy Spirit, but is talking about your spirit. The soul, the spirit and the soul are the same thing in, in the New Testament. Uh, it's the immaterial part of you. First, he talks about the material part. The body that you live in has to die. But the spirit that has been regenerated inside you will never die. It will go on living. Even Jesus said, uh, you know, uh, if you believe in me, you will never die. Well, the body will, but the spirit will not. And so I, I think that probably this, he's speaking of our two parts here, the body first and then, and then the spirit. This spirit, by the way, is the word zoe. It's the word life. I'll come back to that in a minute. Uh, the, uh, this, this life that we have inside us is the spirit of God and the life that we have. So the spirit is life. It is zoe. Again, you may have the word uh, quicken uh, perhaps in that, but you have, you have eternal life. There's a, there's a man in history named Thomas Wentworth he, who was the Earl of Strafford in the 1600s. That was in the days of the English Civil War. In the days of the English Civil War, they were killing each other right and left. And so uh, uh, a lot of the believers were, were killed uh, for various different reasons. And, and uh, Wentworth went to the gallows, and he was, he was hanged. Uh, and he said on the gallows, and this was recorded, and then it's become kind of a famous saying, he said this uh, before, just before they took his life. I come to pay the last debt I owe to sin. 
And then he said, uh, which is death, but by the pleasing of God to rise again through the merits of Christ Jesus to eternal glory. Isn't that the, our attitude when we die, when we come to our deathbed, when we come to our last days? This is the last thing I owe to sin. Now, God's forgiving, forgiven us, and it's not a, it's not a judgment uh, as judgment upon sin. It's just the fact that this body is not redeemed. This body has to go through its life. This body has to die. So it's the last thing we owe to our sinful life. Let it go. Uh, the outward man perishes, but the inward man is renewed day by day. Let this outward person go. But then he says, the spirit will return to God who gave it. And as Jesus said, that's the part that will never die. And you will just go through that door called death and you will go on. I don't know how many how many funerals I have done where that is the obvious illustration lying right before me. As I'm speaking at a funeral and here's the casket uh, right before me, sometimes open, sometimes closed, but people have walked by and they've seen that mortal body. And the thing that they have to see and they cannot deny is what? The life is gone. The spirit is gone. And that mortal body is on its way back to dust pretty quickly now. And it will go back to dust. But we stand there uh, at, at, the, at the funeral of a saved person and we say, but he's with the Lord. She has gone on to her glory. Uh, he doesn't feel any pain anymore. I mean, we talk like that because it's true. And so that's what this verse in our text is saying, that the body is dying or is dead because of sin, but the spirit is zoe. The spirit is life, uh, everlasting life. So with that said, let's go to number three, and that is the life that is in you then as he takes up that thought in verse 11. Again, the, word, the little word if, uh, and, and he, he says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, that's our, another uh, expression of dwelling, if that's true in your life, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life or quicken your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. You see the connection there, don't you? You know, there's, there's a wonderful verse in Colossians 3.3. It's a simple statement where Paul says, you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Simple statement. You're dead. You're dying. You're dead to the old world too. And your life is hid in Christ whose life is hidden in God. That's a pretty secure place to be, isn't it? Isn't that, it? Doesn't that bring you comfort in your dying day to think that, that you are in Christ and Christ is in God? And even though you die and, and, and your body goes back to dust, your spirit goes on living because it's in Christ, that's a great thing. So notice here again, that word life, I want to skip ahead where it says, will also give life to your mortal bodies, and he gives life to you. And I mentioned it a minute ago, the word zoe. When we, we have other words for life in the New Testament. 
Sometimes it's spirit, sometimes it's bios, biology type of life. But when it's zoe, it's that eternal kind of life. For example, Jesus said, uh, or, or it's said of Jesus in John 1, 1, in him was life, zoe, and the life was the light of the world. In Jesus Christ is zoe. Or John 11, at the tomb of Lazarus, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the zoe, the life. Life is in me. And then in 1 John, uh, John said, He that hath the Son hath life. You have zoe. And so when, when the Bible uses this word, almost always it's referring to that, that eternal life that the believer has and can never lose. And so that is what you have. So again, at the beginning of the sentence, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, that's a great promise, uh, then he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Even your body is going to be resurrected sometime. So he raised Christ from the dead, did he not? Do this with me. Go to Ephesians chapter 1, to your right, just a, a few pages. I'll go there with you. Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, beginning in verse 17, at the end of this chapter, let me read from there to the end of the chapter. This is important because it's the gospel. This is why or how the Spirit of God dwells in you. Because God raised him from the dead and you've believed it. Ephesians 1.17, that the the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe, According to the working of his mighty power, notice verse 20, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Did you, did you notice the mighty power of God did two things for Christ? He raised him from the dead and he took him back to heaven in his ascension to the right hand of the Father. Verse 21, far above principality and power, might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. Now I read that to emphasize what our verse back here in, in uh, Romans 8.11 is saying. Uh, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. What kind of power is that? Resurrection power lives in you. If that, if that lives in you, you could no more keep uh, your body in the grave at resurrection day than they could keep Christ in the grave when he resurrected. As a matter of fact, here are two huge obstacles to faith that keeps the world from coming to Christ as Savior, and that is life and death. He came into life by virgin birth. He came into life by a miracle that had never happened before and hasn't happened since. 
that somehow God could come into this world in a sinless fashion in order to be our Savior and to die in our place and give us life through faith. That had to happen by a virgin birth. And if you don't believe that, you're not a believer. Secondly, the second miracle is resurrection from the dead. He died for us on the cross, but he rose from the dead. Never happened before and hasn't happened since and will not happen until the future when he resurrects believers. Two great miracles that keep people from believing. You might say, well, I get that concept. I, I kind of get that poetry or that, that narrative that, uh, you know, a virgin birth and resurrection, but in their mind and heart, they really don't believe it actually happened. It's just kind of the way the Bible has to talk about it in order to be interesting or something. No. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, who he is, and believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead... What he did, thou shalt be saved. You have to believe these things. And yet, it keeps people from coming to Christ. I guarantee you, as we approach Christmas in a month and a half from now, that you will hear all over the place about Christmas trees and about presents and about love and about this and that, but you will not hear about the virgin birth of Christ. Because the world can't stand it, and the world doesn't believe it. And as we approach uh, Easter, then a few months after that, you will hear about bunnies, and you'll hear about eggs, and you'll hear about all of that, but you will not hear about Christ coming out of the grave bodily and resurrecting from the dead. And yet those are the two things that made you a believer. Those are the two things that you accepted and said, since that's true, he has to be my Savior. He's got to be the one to save me from my sin. And you threw yourself at his mercy, and sure enough, he saved you. So my first point here is, and our point on, on, on uh, verse 11, is that God gave life to Jesus Christ by his Spirit. Birth and death, he gave life to him. But the second thing is, of course, that he will then give life to you by his Spirit. So if verse 11, it's true of him, then he also will give life to you and your mortal body. <laughs> and so, sorry folks, you're going to have to live with this body for, for eternity. <laughs> but you know what? When it's incorruptible, when it's undefiled, uh, when it raises from the dead, this body then can live as Jesus' resurrected body is living forever. No sin, no corruption, no pain, no problems that way. So you receive the Spirit at salvation. You receive the earnest of your faith. That is, the Holy Spirit came in as the promise from God. Remember, remember Ephesians 1.14, which is the earnest of your inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. How do you know it's going to happen to you? God put a down payment on you. That's how. And somebody puts a down payment on you, he's coming back to take to claim his own, coming back to get the rest of it. And the down payment is the Holy Spirit that lives within you. If the spirit of him who raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, if you have that, then he will come back for the rest of it. 
And he'll come back for not only your soul when you die, but your body at resurrection day. So Ephesians 4.30 goes on to say, So grieve not the Spirit of God, which we'll talk about next week, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. You have that in you. That's a great thing, that your spirit has life at salvation, and even at, at death your spirit goes back to God, and then your mortal body's raised uh, at resurrection day. So, life is short. You don't have much time. You don't have much time to receive Christ as Savior. It's a gift that God has made possible for you. And if you don't know Him as your personal Savior, you've only got this lifetime, this short blink of time, uh, to receive Him as your Savior. But when you do, then you have eternal life. Now, the truth is, every soul that has ever existed is still alive somewhere today. But because hell is called eternal death and not eternal life, those people who have died and their spirits are in hell right now are there forever. No one has ever ceased to exist in that sense. But they don't have Zoe. They don't have eternal life. Other people who have accepted Christ as Savior, been born again by the Spirit of God, though their bodies in, in dust in the earth, their spirit is with God for eternity. You have to go somewhere when you die. And so do you have Zoe? Do you have the Spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead in you? And if you do, you have eternal life. Death sometimes is, is a tragedy. Sometimes it's wickedness. Sometimes it's just old age, which is hard enough to deal with. But then we go on. We go to our eternal home. That is a great thing. Isaac Watts wrote it in his great hymn, Life is like an ever-rolling stream, bears all our sons away. They fly forgotten as a dream dies at the opening day. Oh, God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. Be thou our guide while life shall last and our eternal home. I want you to stand with me now. And as we stand and we sing a song and we think about these things, let's go to the Lord in prayer and let's ask him to speak to our hearts as he wants to this morning and as we need him to do that. Let's pray together while we're standing. Father, thank you for the promises that we find in Romans chapter 8 and in these verses of our position in Christ, our position in the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, that we can have such assurance and have eternal life in us. Father, I pray that someone that does not have that, someone that does not know Christ as Savior, would today receive him as him or his or her Savior. And may that be true wherever the gospel is preached today. So, Father, thank you for these things. Uh, assure our hearts. Give us confidence in our faith. And help us, Father, to rejoice in the things that you show us. We hear of people dying of tragedies, dying of diseases and cancers and various different things, and yet the believer still can rejoice that to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. And so, Father, bless now as we think about these things and encourage our hearts. Convict where conviction needs to be made. We'll thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Ken's going to come and lead us in the song. Our invitation is open as we sing and when the service is closed and you respond in the way the Lord has led you to respond.